This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. Let's say you lived sometime before 1860 and you wanted to fire a rifle. First, you'd need to pour gunpowder into the powder charge to measure the amount of gunpowder you needed. And then you'd pack down your gunpowder and then bullet into the rifle with a ramrod. Then you'd pull back the hammer and take something called a percussion cap and you'd fit it on the hollow metal nipple on the back of the barrel. Pull the trigger and... That was one shot. Then you had to reload, which meant pouring out new gunpowder, stuffing the gunpowder and the new bullet down with a ramrod, pulling back the hammer, putting a new percussion cap on the nipple, and then you could shoot again. The whole process took at least as long as it just took for me to describe it. And as you can imagine, this was all really inconvenient if someone was shooting at you. But then came the Winchester Repeater Rifle. That's reporter Nina Gensler-Debs. The Winchester 1866 Repeater Rifle was a thing of beauty. Nicknamed the Yellow Boy for its bright brass receiver, the gun was sleek, gleaming, and deadly. You could fire off 15 shots in just over 10 seconds. And the Winchester Repeater arrived on the market just in time for the rise of Western expansion. The huge sweep of manifest destiny and people migrating to the western part of North America. That's Mary Jo Ignafo, a California historian at De Anza College in Cupertino. That weapon became a source of uh, survival and protection for people. The next iteration of the Winchester Repeater, the 1873 model, was an even bigger hit. It was lighter, more accurate, and it became synonymous with westward expansion. It came to be known as the gun that won the West but probably only by people who think they won the West. The Winchester Rifle Company was very successful. The most successful arms company in America in the late 19th century. The Winchester family became fabulously wealthy. They lived together in this palatial mansion in New Haven, Connecticut. They were harmonious, rich, and happy. And to make matters happier, William Winchester, the heir to the family business and fortune, married the girl next door the beautiful and intelligent Sarah Pardee. And in 1866, Sarah gave birth to a daughter, Annie. And then came a string of terrible tragedies. They found that baby Annie couldn't absorb protein. And even with all the money in the world, Sarah couldn't stop her daughter from starving to death before her eyes. Then, five years later, Sarah's beloved husband, William, passed away from tuberculosis. He was only 43 years old. After losing her husband, Sarah Winchester then lost her father-in-law and her eldest sister. Sarah was now alone. Half a lifetime of loneliness lay ahead of her. That's the voice of the iconic black and white film actress Lillian Gish. She's narrating an old documentary about Sarah Winchester with plenty of dramatic flair. And it was in that same year, 1881, that friends trying to console Sarah advised her to seek the services of a well-known Boston medium, Mr. Adam Coombs. And, as the legend goes, through this medium, Sarah was able to contact her deceased husband, William. But William had some bad news. Her husband's voice told her that she would always be haunted by the spirits of those who had been killed by the Winchester rifle. Someone please give this poor widow a break. He now instructed her to placate them by building a structure that would never be completed. 
a house to which rooms would constantly be added to provide shelter for the ever-increasing number of Winchester rifle victims. Finally, he told her that by doing what he had prescribed, she would gain immortality. Winchester rifles had killed a lot of people. If Sarah was to appease their ghosts, she would need to build a very, very big house. And she had the money to do it. Having inherited her late husband's stock in the rifle company, she was now one of the wealthiest people in the country. And where better to build an ever-expanding structure than in the wide open West, California. Sarah left New Haven to begin anew in California. She bought an eight-room farmhouse in San Jose and dove into the remodeling project head first. At any given time, there might have been a dozen people working on the house. Carpenters, tile setters, painters, electricians. Some reports estimate that her house swelled from eight to 26 rooms in the first six months. And others claim there was no end to the construction, that Sarah Winchester's crew worked on the house in rotating shifts 24 hours a day for 38 years. As the construction marched forward, the house became a tangled maze of halls and a mashup of turrets and stained glass windows. You know, it has a kind of haunted mansion quality. That's architectural historian Mitchell Schwartzer. Doors that lead nowhere, you know, staircases that stop halfway. And because she built over so many years, the house was also a wild combination of architectural styles. You know, every five years or so, there was a kind of new movement, uh, new types of ornament. Curves are introduced in the 1890s. But for a long time, no one was able to see the hodgepodge of styles and ornaments in this house, except Sarah Winchester. Well, Sarah and her staff of 18 house servants, 13 carpenters, 8 to 10 gardeners, and two private chauffeurs. Because Sarah Winchester kept to herself. Mrs. Winchester did not entertain, and she did not open her doors to visitors. Supposedly, Sarah Winchester was also always shrouded in a veil. And she never spoke to strangers or members of the press who inquired about her odd building endeavor. And because she didn't respond, they started formulating their own suggestions. Maybe she's superstitious. Maybe she feels guilty that all that money came from guns. Maybe she feels like if she keeps building, she'll never die. And so those little stories became the factual analysis of Mrs. Winchester. It's unclear how much of the Sarah Winchester legend is true. We don't know whether she communed with ghosts, or at least thought she was communing with ghosts, or whether she built her huge house to placate them, or whether she felt guilty about her fortune coming from guns. But after her death, those legends and rumors about her have lived on. After Sarah's death, an entrepreneur named John H. Brown saw the possibility in the old decrepit estate. In 1923, he reopened Mrs. Winchester's property as the Winchester Mystery House. And ever since, it's been the subject of all kinds of pseudo-documentaries on haunted houses. Said to be inhabited by ghosts and inspired by madness, it has the deranged design of a carnival funhouse. The Winchester Mystery House was built on fear. When I walked in, my, my hand, I got chills. The workers that built this place, they're still building it on the other side. For $33, you can buy a ticket and tour Sarah Winchester's house. My name is Maggie, and I will be your guide today on this 65-minute tour of Mrs. Winchester's beautiful 160-room Victorian mansion. 
I brought my family there. We drove an hour, we waited in line, we shelled out a whole lot of money for tickets because we'd never been there, and it's a Bay Area landmark. And it's California Historical Landmark number 868. If you have a look at that black and white photo right there... The tour points out all the bizarre things about the house, like the staircases that lead to nowhere. We have our door to a wall, a window to a wall, a staircase to nowhere, uh, and even a door to nowhere. And they like to point out that Ms. Winchester hid the number 13 all around the house. If you count the blue and amber stones, you will count 13 stones. You are going to see a lot of 13s on your tour here today. But the highlight of the tour is definitely the seance room. This is the seance room. Which sits in the middle of the house. This is where Sarah supposedly received directions from the spirits. Legend has it Mrs. Winchester would come up here every night to speak to the spirits of those killed by the Winchester rifle. They seem to be selling the story of the haunted house and of the haunted Mrs. Winchester. And a lot of people seem to be buying it. But not everyone. The mythology about her is not only insulting to her, it's insulting to me as a consumer of popular culture. It, it insults a person's intelligence. That's Mary Jo Ignafo again, and she doesn't believe the haunted Mrs. Winchester legends. She wrote a book about Sarah Winchester that challenges some of the myths about her. Sarah herself didn't write a memoir or speak to the press, but Mary Jo did find documents that helped her understand who the real Sarah Winchester may have been. There were incredible original sources that hadn't been used by anybody else before. Letters that she wrote, correspondence with her attorney, property records. After pouring through documents, Mary Jo has come to believe that a lot of the really strange things that we see today and that are emphasized in the mythology about Sarah Winchester are completely explainable. The stairs to nowhere, for example, they probably did lead somewhere once. Rooms were constantly being tweaked and remodeled. Plus, the 1906 earthquake had a major effect. There are no original blueprints for the house, but we do know that the earthquake destroyed the front of the mansion and the third and fourth stories. She felt like the defects of the house really came to the fore in the 1906 earthquake. And so she kind of was chagrined at her own workmanship that this would happen. Instead of rebuilding, Sarah had workers clear away the rubble and make the place safe, and then just boarded up the front of the house. So it's very possible that the stairs led to a room that got destroyed in the quake. As for all those 13s, Mary Jo doesn't put a lot of stock in them. And she believes that some of them might not be from Sarah Winchester. A couple of the men who worked on the house, they stated in the 1920s that um, those references to the number 13 were added after her death. As to whether Sarah Winchester conducted seances in her supposed seance room, it's possible. Spiritualism and seances were actually fairly common practice in Sarah Winchester's time. But still, Mary Jo finds it unlikely, partly because of the location of the room in the middle of the house. Anybody who knows about spiritualism or seances know that those are really public affairs, social affairs at the very least, if not public. And you would have that in your front parlor. Then again, Sarah was a very private person, so maybe she did her seances alone. The ranch foreman also stated that he had actually stayed in that room and it was uh, not related to any kind of spiritual 
or superstitious events at all. And lastly, in the popular legend about Sarah Winchester, her whole building endeavor was set in motion after seeing a medium by the name of Adam Coombs, who had supposedly put her in touch with her dead husband. But Mary Jo gained access to a list of mediums and spiritualists that would have been practicing in New England during Sarah Winchester's lifetime. The name that's usually associated with having seen Winchester is not there. Adam Coombs may never have existed at all. There are some things we'll never know about Sarah Winchester. But what Mary Jo does feel like we can know for sure is that Sarah wasn't out of touch with reality. On the contrary, she was rational and savvy. This is a woman so far ahead of her time in financial matters, in her real estate investment, in her bond portfolio. It's remarkable. It's really remarkable. So why does a financially savvy, forward-thinking woman build such a crazy, never-ending house? Mary Jo has a different theory. No ghosts involved. She was an architect wannabe. Sarah Winchester wanted to be an architect. She loved doing, building, experimenting. And I love that theory. Sarah Winchester lived at a time when... It was highly unusual uh, to have women architects. And she wasn't licensed. So her own house was the perfect place, the only place really, for her to practice architecture. And it became her playground. Sometimes in the middle of a project, she'd lose interest and move on to something else. From all this emerged an odd and frenetic confluence of architecture. But her house isn't only a collection of oddities. There are some legitimately innovative elements, too. There's a solarium with a zinc floor. It doesn't rust, and it's tilted for the water to run off and be used in the garden. There are also these amazing zigzagging stairs that, instead of going up at a steep pitch, rise in shallower increments. Sarah Winchester had debilitating arthritis, and these stairs made it possible for her to move about her house. The legend says that Sarah and her crew worked on her house 24 hours a day for 38 years, and that upon hearing of her death, her work crew finally set down their hammers and walked off the job. This is most likely an exaggeration, but the house was certainly a project that consumed Mrs. Winchester's attention for decades. Finally, he told her that by doing what he had prescribed, she would gain immortality. And of course, she didn't gain immortality from all of her building, as the spirits had supposedly promised. But she did live into her 80s. In the end, whatever her motivations were, Sarah Winchester built a house with over 150 rooms, 2,000 doors, 47 fireplaces, 40 bedrooms, 40 staircases, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, 6 kitchens, 3 elevators, 2 basements, and 1 shower and spent nearly all of her life being an architect. Invisible was produced this week by Nina Gensler-Debs with Avery Truffleman, Katie Mingle, Sam Greenspan, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of 91.7 local public radio KALW in San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, California.
Support for 99% Invisible comes from our Bolt Action and Lever Action contributors and from Slack. Slack is the messaging app for teams. So 99% Invisible has been on Slack for about a month, and I'm certain we'll never go back to communicating using an annoying hodgepodge of email, IMs, and texts ever again. With Slack, we set up channels that correspond to the episodes that we're working on, or, you know, places that we want to get lunch. And all the discussion happens on those channels. So all the conversations about an episode, the links to the sources, the scripts, even the sound files, they all live on a single channel. So you never lose track of the information that you need. And if someone new joins the team, they have a complete record of the project up to that point. Critical info isn't buried in some random email somewhere. You can even create a channel devoted to harassing your boss into sending you to Japan to cover design stories. Slack is free to use for as long as you want with as many users as you want, but they do have paid plans with additional features and more powerful functionality. Anyone who visits slack.com slash 99 will get $100 in credits that they can use whenever they decide to upgrade to any paid plan. But again, Slack is free to use forever if you want to. So just try it out, seriously. It makes your work life better. Go to slack.com slash 99. Support is also provided by Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. So on Sunday night, I had this idea that I'd start a YouTube channel where I'd describe products in a calm voice as I unbox them. And I thought I'd get companies to send me free things and I'd unbox them and I'd get paid. And I could pay for more 99% invisibles. I hear you can make really good money that way. Anyway, so I'd call it Roman Describes Things in Boxes. So I went online to Hover.com and I registered RomanDescribes.com. And if I ever turn this crazy idea into something real, I have a place for it to call home. Hover.com is the place you take your big plans, your small plans, your crazy notions, and you turn them into a reality. I don't know if RomanDescribes.com will ever be like a real thing, but why chance it? So I grabbed it. If you have an idea, big or small, go to Hover.com and register a domain name and use the offer code WINCHESTER and I'll save you 10%. And finally, we are made possible this week and every week by Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. My boy Maslow always has something to say. What do you got to say, Maslow? Once I went to the Winchester house and I loved it. It was so cool. One of my favorite parts was the door to nowhere. Well, technically it led somewhere. Well, it led to a two-story drop onto cement. TinyLetter.com. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. The simplest way to send an email newsletter. And if you want to check out a tiny letter all about podcasts, try the podcast broadcast by Brittany Jesuit. Most of my favorites are covered, and maybe you'll find something new and mind-blowing. We'll have a link to Brittany's tiny letter on our website. Thanks to MailChimp and the Knight Foundation, we created Radiotopia from PRX, a collective of the best independent listener-supported podcasts in the world. Welcome to The Allusionist. That's allusionist with an A, not an I. This is criminal. Welcome. Welcome to Strangers. To the heart. The truth. The mortified podcast. Theory of everything. Radio diaries. Love and radio. Fugitive waves. From the Kitchen Sisters. Pick out a new one today and give it a shot. If you'd like to hear your company's name or project on this show, email sponsor at radiotopia.fm. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. We're all on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Spotify. And you can listen to every single episode of 99% Invisible at 99pi.org. Radiotopia.